scientists, in their never-ending quest to turn horror movies into real life, have created a race of bloodthirsty hamsters. And then we travel to Ukraine to take a look at an alien abduction story that seems to redefine what we know of the reptilian alien species. Are they truly a bloodthirsty enemy of humanity, or have they brought to Earth one of our most beautiful treasures? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, coming into Dead Rabbit Command, flying their own personalized UFO. Everyone give it up for today's newest Patreon supporter, Emmy. Woo, yeah, come on, fly that UFO and land it. Land it over there so I can take it apart and reverse engineer it for my own purposes. The reason why Emmy has their own UFO is Emmy is actually the author and artist of their own webcomic called Trying Human. It's a really cool comic. I'm about two issues in, and I'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can check it out yourselves. I don't really know uh, what it's about yet. I'm two issues in. I, I It's either a girl falling in love with an alien, an alien... Falling in love with a girl. Maybe the girl's an alien. I don't know. Like I said, only two issues in. The mystery is still unfolding, but I'm having a lot of fun reading it. Emmy, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about this show. That really, really helps out a lot. Now, Emmy, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to fly all the way out to Northwestern University. Evanston, Illinois is where we're headed. This is the site of Northwestern University. They've currently made the news. They're making the news rounds right now because of some bizarre experiments they've been doing on hamsters. Now, longtime listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio know that I am a hamster aficionado. Not in the way that Richard Gere was. Not like that sicko. That was actually an urban legend. That never happened. But I used to have a pet hamster, my very first pet was a little hamster named Stitchface, and he was awesome. He was so smart. One time he broke out of his cage and crawled into bed with me. Again, not like Richard Gere, but uh, he crawled all the way through house and underneath my door and got in bed with me. Once again, <laughs> once again, whenever I say that phrase, I have to add, not like Richard Gere. Little Stitchface, you will live on in dead rabbit radio history. Stitchface, I mean, not Stitchface, <laughs> these were hamsters. I hope Stitchface isn't part of this. So, you guys are like, why are you keep talking about hamsters? You keep messing it up with this college. Okay. Northwestern University's currently been in the news because they have turned the once adorable hamster into bloodthirsty maniacs. What they've done, this is so bizarre, and I have to wonder, what were you thinking of doing? They were taking hamsters, specifically Syrian hamsters, which have a very similar social structure to humans. And they said, what if we could shut off a certain receptor? It's called AVPR1A. And this receptor receives the hormone vasopressin. And what, what this receptor does, AVPR1A, is it regulates teamwork and friendship in a social group. And they're thinking, well, we believe that this little receptor is almost like a limiter to how friendly something can be. 
The animals don't want to be too friendly, otherwise they'll just get gobbled up. <laughs> or Richard Gere will catch them more easily. So what if we shut that off? What if we actually shut off the regulator? They would have unlimitless friendliness. It would be like the Smurfs, right? They're just kind of chilling everywhere. Now, they've done this. They uh, You have to go in to do, like, you have to do it in the embryo. You just can't take a regular hamster and stick a needle in his brain and go, you're cured. They have to do this in the embryo using CRISPR technology. But they said this thing acts as a limiter to how friendly a creature will be. If we shut it off, they'll be super friendly. And then they won't be angry. They'll never be angry. They'll have very, very low aggression, which would suck if you were in the wild because you got to, like, fight over barley. You know, two two hamsters seeing the same pile of garbage that they're eating at Templeton's there. He's like, no, these apple cores are mine. Go away. They have to be able to fight off Templeton. They have to be able to fight off a fictional character for these rotten banana peels. Let's shut it off. We can shut it off in the laboratory. Let's see what happens. They had previously done this. I don't know if Northwestern University did this, but scientists had previously shut it off in mice. They're able to go in and completely remove the hormone vasopressin from mice. And the mice are just chilling. It seemed to work. They go, whoa, mice are more friendly. Look at, I can have them all. I can have them sew my clothes and dance while I dream about marrying a prince. But they go, mice, even though their brains are similar to humans, they don't have the same social structure. And since this is such a profound effect on how they interact with others of their kind, Let's see what happens if we take a creature that has a similar social structure to humans, which I didn't know this, is a Syrian hamster. Now, maybe I thought like we had like more in common with monkeys. I thought monkeys are like our social structures were the same. But and that could be true. They, it's, it's very, they were very, very lucky. They didn't try this on monkeys. They're like, oh, let's bring in the gorillas and see what happens if we shut off part of their brain. Because when they did this in Syrian hamsters, it did not turn out like the mice. There were no clothes to be sewn. No songs were sung this day. When you took a hamster embryo and basically took out or shut off the receptor AVPR1A, they look like normal little hamsters, right? Little hamster is born from its mommy, and the mom's like, okay, I'm going to eat you three, and you four get to live. And these little hamsters are just kind of going about their day. But what the scientists realized was that when you shut off, I mean, who, what, what a shock this was. When you shut off part of an animal's brain that regulates friendliness, it messes them up. Now, it didn't turn them ultra-friendly. It didn't make them calm or anything. It was the exact opposite. It made them extremely violent. The way that this worked, and the scientists were shocked by what, what happened. This was not in any of their hypotheses. If you took a hamster that had this receptor shut off, it became violent towards other hamsters. It didn't matter if the other hamster also had the receptor shut off or not. Because they had hamsters that they just caught in the wild. They're like flying helicopters over Syria. The great hamster herds. And they're like throwing ropes down and, and rounded them up. And then I, I, it seemed that they had some that were also born in laboratories. So they had wild hamsters, hamsters born in laboratories. And then these freaks of nature that they were toying with. If the receptor was shut off, these hamsters would attack another hamster. They would bite them. I mean, I gotta admit, it would be the most adorable attack ever. They're like biting, rolling around on the ground. Not so adorable if you're the other hamster because it's something, I mean, it's furry and cute to us, but to them, it's like, oh no, it's my equal in strength. 
the mutant hamster, we'll call him, the mutant hamster would violently attack any other hamster if they were the same sex. So the male hamsters were not attacking the female hamster. Whether or not the female hamster had the receptor shut off or was one of the wild hamsters or the lab-born hamsters, there's no violence to be had. But if you took a male hamster and then a male mutant hamster or two male mutant hamsters or whatever, as long as there was one of these freaks in the cage, it was on. You know, the scientists started vetting at a certain point. There's like a little hamster with like a spiked collar on. And they're like, will these two mutant hamsters try to attack the spiked collar hamster? And then there's just like a free for all. And people are like throwing money on the ground. <laughs> the lead scientist has just one eye. He has these little hamster claws across his face. And then he has this patch made out of a pin protector. And he's like, guys, guys, keep betting. Let's, let's make science finally pay off. So yeah, it's super weird. And they realized that the female hamsters were the most aggressive out of all of them. The, the male hamsters, apparently, the mutant male hamsters, when you put them in a cage, they would kind of like suss stuff out. They'd be like, hmm, am I going to attack him now? Or will I wait till he's asleep? The female hamsters, the second you put them in the cage, it was on. But they would only attack other females. It's a fascinating story. At this point, they're like, um, we, this isn't what we expected. I'm sure they're going to keep studying it because they want to know why this happened. But my question is, why were they working on this in the first place? I imagine the end result was to be to try to prevent humans from getting angry. Which, here's the thing. If you could invent a pill or an injection, say there's someone who's always prone to anger. They're like, we really like your work ethic here, Dr. Banner, but every so often you just hulk out and destroy the lab. We're going to give you this pill. We're going to give you this pill that's actually going to suppress vasopressin in your system. I can understand an adult who's a rageaholic constantly wanting to control his anger, but this is something you have to do at the genetic level. Could you imagine being born a baby and never being able to get angry? like that? Because that was their end result. They were hoping to reduce aggression in these creatures and make them more sociable. Instead, it made them more violent and, and less sociable because no one wants to be around a psychopathic hamster. But could you imagine being a baby? Your human soul is in a body inside a baby that can't get angry. Like, it just is impossible to get angry or upset. That sounds torturous. That sounds awful. I know there might be, like, if you have a brain injury or something like that, that you can't get angry. But if they were going into human babies and reducing their anger, making it so they can never get angry, that's creepy. Like, you're actually, like, removing part of what being a human is part of the human experience is not getting what you want and being upset and angry and things like that it's also interesting because they knew or they thought it was going to reduce anger they also believed that it was going to reduce social communication and they were totally fine with that so apparently it would make their their hypothesis was it would make the syrian hamsters more friendly but it would make them less talkative to each other in that little hamster language you know the one that's all sped up and sounds like the chipmunks but more hamstery that's creepy too imagine if you could go in and not only change a baby at the genetic code to not be angry but also just to kind of keep to themselves what that would be horrible that'd be horrible it's almost like you're trying to build some sort of living robot which is a big conspiracy theory, right? That the ruling class wants to turn the herds of humanity, the unwashed masses, into just these bio-slaves. Which I guess is just a normal slave, but just like these bio-robots. 
these mindless drones working for them. So I don't know what these freaks at Northwestern University are up to. Maybe they were trying to create the perfect slave. And what's scary about this is this got released and not into the wild. The hamsters are not currently roaming through your neighborhood. But the medical documents, the research documents have all been published about this. And I'm sure there are other governments, maybe even the United States government, who read this and said, let's just start doing this to humans. Because apparently the world governments are secretly run by COBRA. Um, I'm sure there is a government or a unscrupulous scientific laboratory who's like, we can build the perfect weapon. We can take a baby. <laughs> the whole perfect weapons begin with a baby. We can genetically engineer a baby, take out this receptor, and he'll be super mad all the time. Because <laughs> who doesn't want an angry baby? This is one of those things that I think is a good idea until I actually start saying it. Because then you would have like an angry baby who would attack everybody, but you still have to raise it for 18 years before you could release it into the world as a super soldier. So you would have to be like constantly like afraid to check its temperature. You're like, oh no, he has diarrhea again. I don't want to change his diaper. He's flinging it at you. And then he's just constantly every day getting angrier and angrier and he has no communication skills. He's just like, ah, uh, he's constantly like beating up the crib. Every time you give him a stuffed animal, he's like ripping the head off and like eating the stuffing. I guess at that point, the baby's just dead. You're like, oh, well, he's eating stuffing. He's probably going to choke. But imagine he doesn't. Imagine that you have this baby and he's super angry and you raise him. He's like boxing at the age of three. By five, he's doing like uh, Muay Thai stuff. He keeps kneeing you in the face. You're like, oh, it's kind of adorable. He still has those soft baby knees. And then by age 16, he's like a master at martial arts of all the martial arts that, that the scientists at Northwestern University know. There's like two of them and they're not martial arts. It's like badminton and rowing. You train this kid and he's so angry and he has no communication skills. I actually think I just I think I just described a bunch of people that aren't genetically modified that are just living among us. Is someone currently taking Syrian hamster level technology and going to use it on humans? I hope we never have to find out. But, again, I don't think it would make much of a difference. I already think there's a lot of violent people out there who unfortunately have a hard time connecting with others. So maybe you don't need CRISPR technology or Syrian hamsters to do that. Maybe you just need modern society. Emmy, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're leaving behind Northwestern University. I hope no one has hamsters in their pockets. Turn around. Turn around, Richard Gere is slowly pulling out a bunch of hamsters out of his pocket. I feel really bad. That's a such a go-to joke. But he didn't do that. Like, I think it was... I think I read something that... Emmy, go ahead and warm up the carpenter copter while I go up on the Segway. I'll see if I can find it for the show notes. From what I understand, Sylvester Stallone and... Richard Gere hated each other's guts because they did a movie together or they were working on something together. I don't know if it was ever finished. And from what I understand, Sylvester Stallone went around Hollywood and told people that, if you haven't heard this, you're like, why does he keep making these Richard Gere jokes? I'm sure everyone's heard of this. Back when I was a kid, there was an old urban legend that Richard Gere stuck a hamster up his butt because this was a thing where you put a hamster up your butt go ahead and go ahead if your kids are still in the room go ahead and usher them out you stick a hamster up your butt and you like wrap it in a condom you stick a hamster up your butt and then as it's dying and like trying to get out and it's death throes it you you it's pleasurable apparently according to Sylvester Stallone I don't know 
But that was the urban. Le- I remember hearing that like back in the 80s. Richard Gere put a hamster up his butt and he went to the doctor. He had the reason why we know about it, allegedly, was that he went to the hospital and the doctors had to remove it. And the story went that this isn't rare. There are people who put hamsters up their butts because it's very pleasurable. It's very pleasurable to have a clawed creature that's far bigger than the human rectum is designed for to be shoved up there. So I've heard the story that Sylvester Stallone hated Richard Gere so much he started that rumor and it never went away. I don't think Sylvester Stallone had any idea the impact that that urban legend would have. Or maybe he did. Maybe he hated Richard Gere that much. That urban legend's been going on for 30 years. That's brutal. That's a little bit of behind-the-scenes trivia that I vaguely remember. I'll see if I can find it in the show notes, but that, that's what I had heard so far. Emmy, go ahead and fire up that carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Northwestern University. We are headed all the way out to the Ukraine. The year is 1995, and we're in Sudok. That's in the Crimean Peninsula in Ukraine. It's 10 in the morning. And there's a young man, his name is Georgie. He's a local resident of the area, and he walks out of his house. <sighs> what a beautiful day. What a beautiful... I'm sure nothing nothing disturbing will happen today. Nothing that will shatter my view of the world. And he's walking around, he's drinking a beer on this beautiful morning. And his house is near the Black Sea, so he's kind of like walking down this embankment. He's just going to sit on the beach and drink this beer and think about... How how normal life has been up to this point. It's just a clear, sunny day, and he's looking out over the sea. And then someone sneaks up behind him and puts a mask over his face. And it all happens so rapidly. Like, he doesn't hear the person coming up behind him. He just is standing there with his drink, and the next thing you know, he's wearing a rubber mask. And he's struggling to take it off. It's really form-fitting on his head. And he's struggling to take it off. And he finally gets a good grip in underneath the chin and pulls the mask off. And he's standing in this massive hallway. Georgie looks from side to side. And as far as the eye can see down this hallway, he just sees these massive screens, these huge monitors lining both sides of the hall. As far as he can tell, he's alone in here. But where's here? He was just standing out on the beach underneath the sunny sky, and now he's in this huge structure. Every so often underneath the monitors, he sees control panels and chairs there. And then his attention is drawn to what's in his hand. His beer's gone. I mean, he's a little he's a little disappointed in that. But in his other hand is the mask that was pulled down over his face. Now, when this initially happened, he thought someone was pulling a prank. But you know, normally normally on the Jackass crew, they don't teleport you throughout space and time. So he figured it probably wasn't a prank. He looks down at what he's holding. He's holding this mask. It is a Rubber mask of a reptilian monster. He's looking at it, and it clearly has the facial features of a reptilian. It's blue, and it's covered in warts. 
But it's all rubbery. It's not like it's not like real warts. He's not afraid, but he's looking at this mask covered in these rubber warts, and he's looking at it, and it's this reptilian face. He's like, "What? What in the world is going on?" And then a door opens in the wall, and Georgie turns to look, and out of this door steps three reptilians. He said that they looked exactly like the mask, except not rubbery, not fake. These were real-life blue reptilian humanoids walking out of this doorway. He described them as all blue, completely covered in warts. They were naked. And he used the term awful. (laughs) He thought they were disgusting looking. One of these guys walks over to him, and he describes their hands. They have three fingers, and each finger had a long claw. One of these reptilians walks over to Georgie and puts its hand on his shoulder and opens up a mouth full of sharp yellow teeth. And it says, Homo sapien. Georgie is in no mood for a biology lesson. He knows his species. He's out of there. He doesn't care what else this guy has to say. He breaks free from this creature's grasp. And he didn't really grasp him. He just kind of put a gentle hand on his shoulder. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter if it was just like giving you a little, a little high five. It's still disgusting. Georgie takes off running through this wherever he's at. Starship? Structure? He has no idea. Is it an underground base? Is it on the edge of the solar system? Who knows? He's running. He's running as fast as he can. He sees a little corridor breaking off from the main hallway. He's running down that. He sees a doorway. He ducks into that. And he runs in a reptilian, right? right? Which you kind of you have to guess. No matter where he is running, this place is populated by these creatures. So he runs into this little room, and he did say throughout his journey running through the structure, he just kept seeing monitors and control panels. He runs into this room, and he runs into another one of these creatures, and the creature very plainly says, Where are you running to? I think Georgie realized that he didn't even know the answer to that question. He just kind of stands there. He's also probably out of breath. The alien presses a button on the wall, And almost to answer his own question, right? So the reptilian says, where are you running to? Because he's running through these corridors. He's running through these rooms. And to really show the futility of trying to escape, the reptilian hits the button on the wall. And the walls just completely turn transparent. Or they disappear. I wouldn't even say transparent because then you would just see the adjoining room. Georgie says he's standing in this room and all the walls vanished. And... He saw in every direction simply endless space. The floor's gone, the ceiling's gone, the wall's gone. All he can see is he is standing in the middle of deep space. He said, I saw the beauty of the universe. You see stars, you see twirling galaxies, you see a little comet. So now he does know where he's at. He's in space. And there's no escape. There's no way he's getting off of this ship. I mean, you can run all you want, but unless you know how to fly an X-9 reptilian starfighter, you're you're boned. Another reptilian walks into the room and takes Georgie by the hand and tells him, Do not be afraid. And then begins to lead Georgie 
out of that room into another room. In this room stood hundreds of reptilians. I believe all these guys are naked too. Hundreds of reptilians standing shoulder to shoulder in formation. And they're all staring at Georgie. It's funny because in reptilian lore, they are the most brutal, warlike, bloodthirsty alien species out there. Dead Rabbit Radio listeners know that the Conformers are actually the most dangerous alien species out there. But in general UFO lore, it's the reptilians. The reptilians are kidnapping people. Reptilians are kidnapping people for food. Reptilians are kidnapping people for sex slaves. They're constantly going to war with the Greys. They're trying to take over the planet. The Queen of England is a reptilian. So when you're standing there facing down hundreds of reptilians standing in military formation... There can't be any pleasant thoughts going through Georgie's head. Plus, there's just a general unease between mammals and reptilians. I think that's why reptilians hold that place in UFO lore as being the most vicious, most warlike, is because our ancestral memory is to hate reptiles. They were eating us until a comet changed the game, and then the mammals rose over the reptiles. Take that, alligator. Stay in that swamp all day. So you have that, you have the evolution memory of despising reptiles, and then you have all the UFO lore, reptilian lore in the UFO community and stuff like that. It can't be a good thing when you see this many reptilians in military formation. And also, if they are naked, it is even more troubling. But as Georgie's standing there, and all of these reptilians are staring at him, suddenly, they move. They actually, like, there is the formation is broken, and they part, almost like the Red Sea as Moses was walking through it. They part, and now Georgie can look straight down and see in this ocean of naked reptilian soldiers, there's a couch. And on the couch lies a beautiful, blonde, naked woman. She's asleep. Her eyes closed. The alien fluorescent lights glimmering off of her pale, nubile flesh. Georgie stares at this beautiful, nude figure laying there. And then the reptilians reform. Like, the reptilians then block off his view. <laughs> they notice he was getting a little too excited. They're like, uh-uh. Even though you're not naked, we could tell that you like that a little too much. The reptilian who led him into the room then leads him towards this large screen on the wall. And he's like, oh, am I going to get see more of this nude lady on the screen? The reptilian's like, no. The reptilian presses a button, and a sea of stars appears on the screen. And the reptilian points to one star in particular and says, Earth. And then he turns to Georgie and gives him a hug. Gives him a big hug, pulls him close to his naked, wart-covered body, and says, Stay with us. We have no time and death. Now, I'm, I don't know if the reptilians are really good on human grammar. I think he means... There's two ways you can take that. You can take it as, we have no time for you to decide. We have death. I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is, we have no time and we have no death. If you are here, it'll be an immortal moment. You will never pass away. And Georgie, though, 
throughout this whole story, other than when the hot naked chick showed up, he's terrified. At no point does he feel at ease around these things, which is funny because sometimes we cover a lot of UFO stories where the aliens are eventually able to calm down the human and they're like, everything will be okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is not working on Georgie. Georgie is terrified this whole time. He doesn't want to stay here. He says, I can't. And the only thing he can think of, like the first thing that he thinks of, because he's trying to look, look for an excuse. It's the same thing when your friend's like, hey, can you come hang out with us Friday night? And you're like, uh, uh, no, I can't. And he's got to come up with a reason real quick. He goes, my mom will miss me if I don't come home. Now, that's probably a valid excuse. Right? I'm not saying his mom wouldn't miss him. But he just he's like, my mom will miss me. And... The aliens seem to be a little disappointed. They were hoping for this guy to hang out with them, but they're like, okay, we'll take you back home. And then the reptilian said, before you go, is there anything you want to know about? And Georgie says, it was the first thing that popped in my head. I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking. (laughs) This alien species is asking if I want to know anything. And he goes, because I had just mentioned my mom, the only thing that popped in my head was, how long will my mother live? And this reptilian, again, I don't know if he has a problem with grammar or what, or he just wanted to be a jerk and leave it up to interpretation. The reptilian turns to him and says, As much? This is an exact quote. I've pretty much used all exact quotes. Whenever I do the creepy voice, he goes, quote, In in relation to how long will my mother live, the alien, the reptilian says, As much as your age now. As much as your age now. What does that even mean? Like, I was thinking, so if this guy was 30, does that mean his mom will live an extra 30 years? Does that mean that his mom's dead right now? And she's not. I mean, spoiler alert, obviously we know about this story. Georgie does come back home. He doesn't come home to a dead mom. What a, what a kind of a jerk way to say, hey, do you have any questions? And you ask a question like that. And that's such a... Yeah, it is dumb. Basically, I'm criticizing the reptilians on this one. The, he should, they should have just said it, she'll, she'll live another 30 years. Why does it have to be so cryptic? Anyways, the star on the screen then appears to grow and get closer and closer and closer to the screen. And Georgie is transfixed on this. And then he starts to recognize past the star, a little planet. And he goes, oh, that's Earth. I recognize that from all those science documentaries. And he gets closer and closer and closer. And then the screen is filled up with clouds. And then Georgie is back on Earth. Five hours later, so at this point it would be three in the afternoon, he's standing right outside his house, and he's facing the opposite direction from where he left. So I'm assuming if he left the front door, which is how most humans leave their houses, he was now in the backyard. He was in the opposite direction of where he had left. And one more weird quirk of this whole story, as he's getting situated, he realizes that he had some coins in his pocket this whole time. Because usually when you get abducted, you know, you have stuff on you, your wallet, nowadays your phone. He had some coins in his pocket, and when he took them out, they had a yellowish glow. They were glowing. And he said by the next morning, the coins had returned to normal. The glow was gone. It's a fascinating alien story because it really defies a lot of the stuff we know about reptilians. Like I was saying earlier, we assume reptilians are the most bloodthirsty of the species. But here they're 
quite kind. I mean, they would be nice if they put on some pants, just for modesty's sake. But, you know, they weren't killing him. They're giving him hugs and kind of holding him by the hand, and they let him choose whether or not he wanted to come home. They were kind of <laughs> they were kind of jerks when he asked if his mom was going to be okay or how long she was going to live. They could have given him a more straight answer. I also love the way he was abducted. Like, out of all the ways people waking up on a ship, people trying to outrun a ship in their car, or bright light being shined in their face... So who, what was with that beginning? Someone walking up behind him. And I don't know if he ever found out who did that. I don't know if he walked around town with a baseball bat and he's like, who put that reptilian mask on my head? People are like, Georgie, what in the world are you talking about? That's an odd way to be abducted. I've never heard anything like that before. Ever heard anything like that before. You get a mask put on you and then when you take it off, you're in another world. It almost sounds ritualistic like the mask of a shaman and you put it on and you become the creature. It, it kind of sounds like that. Who put the mask on him or what put the mask on him? Why? It almost felt like the aliens didn't expect him to be human. And that's why they called him Homo sapien. I, I, who, or maybe that was just the way they greet you when reptilian sees you. They call out your scientific name for your species. The whole story is weird. I love it. But then when I was reading about this, and I read about that beautiful blonde woman on the couch, I thought, hmm. I immediately went to Google and Googled, what year was Anya Taylor-Joy born? You know who Anya Taylor-Joy is. I have to be honest. I have to refrain from talking about her on the podcast all the time. I think she is hands down the most beautiful woman to have ever walked on the face of the earth. I know I just lost a bunch of listeners. They're like, oh, Jason, seriously? She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. She's too gorgeous to be human. So when I was reading this story, I said, I wonder when Anya Taylor-Joy was born. I wonder if... The beautiful, sleeping, naked woman on the couch in the spaceship <laughs> was Anya Taylor-Joy. So guess what I found out? Guess what I found out? This story took place in the year 1995. <laughs> Anya Taylor-Joy was born in 1996. Now you go, Jason, wait a second. It's a totally, totally different year. There was an adult woman on a bed. A beautiful adult woman, naked, a beautiful adult woman, blonde hair. Anna Taylor Joy was born a year a year later, and I'm pretty sure, pretty sure she wasn't born as a full grown adult. I'm sure she was a child, like most people. And then she grew into the beauty that we all know and love. Sure, but hear me out. <laughs> you already shut off the podcast. You already you're like, no, I'm done. Aliens, the reptilians have no time, right? So maybe Anna Taylor Joy was born on a spaceship. Because a lot of people do say she looks like an alien. I don't think she looks like an alien personally, but I guess by saying she was born on a spaceship, she's beautiful. I love her. I love her. Uh, I watch everything she's in, except for Emma and the Queen's Gambit. I only watch stuff that she's in that I like, that I think is cool, where people get chopped up like New Mutants or the Northmen. But anyways, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, beautiful naked woman on a couch. Year is 1995. Anya Taylor-Joy... It's <laughs> a little baby, little baby zygote floating around in her mom's womb around somewhere around 1995. Anya Taylor-Joy is born April 16th, 1996. So that means that at the same time this guy was on the spaceship, she was inside her mom's womb on Earth. 
what I'm saying, here's my here's my conspiracy theory that Anya Taylor Joy, she's on this spaceship in the year 1995, and she her birthday's in April of 1996. So it would be at the same time she was in her mom's womb. The adult version of Anya Taylor Joy that we would all come to worship is on the alien starship, and then, then at some point she flies. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to make this work, but I'm wondering who that lady was and who else could it be but Anya Taylor Joy? Who else fits the description? Who else fits the description of a beautiful blonde woman in the world? Is it anyone but Anya Taylor Joy? Who knows? This is a fascinating. Even though it kind of went sideways in the end, it's a fascinating tale of abduction. It's a really cool look at the reptilians. We've never had, I cannot think of another time the reptilians have been this chill. They normally are kidnapping people from Kansas and taking them to Antarctica to turn them into sex slaves or to move boxes for them on the moon. I'll put that episode in the show notes. And I I'll, also, before I wrap this up, I want to give a shout out. I got this from ThinkAboutItDocs.com. They got it from Anton Anfilov, who's a big UFO researcher. We've covered his work a lot of times, and he was quoting a work or a book called The Secret Doctrine, number nine, published in 2002. Got to give a shout out to those guys. But fascinating story of alien abduction. One of the weirdest ways I've ever heard of someone being taken by aliens. It's so folklorish. It's so shamanic. And yet the journey he went on wasn't a spirit quest, but it took him to the deepest parts of space to meet an alien race that is normally openly hostile towards humans. But this time they just wanted this guy to chill out with him. And maybe, just maybe, meet the one and only Anya Taylor-Joy. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.